Church, I won't, uh, I won't lead us in uh, a nice little Christmas carol, so you're welcome. But <laughs> well, a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us this morning. I know we have some family in town and uh, maybe some newcomers, so uh, I am Pastor Mark, and we are incredibly thankful that you are here, and uh, we just praise God that you're able to worship with us this morning. Well, church, our scripture this morning is from Luke. We're going to be in chapter 2. We're going to be reading about Jesus being presented at the temple and uh, Simeon's encounter with him. So will you stand with me if you're able as we read the scriptures? Luke 2, 22 to 35. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, in your tender mercy, help us to hear from you this morning. May we have ears to ear, hear, and soft hearts that are ready to receive. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, we all know that waiting is hard. I think children, particularly at this time of year, understand the hard process of waiting. Our family opened presents yesterday because uh, obviously today I'm a little busy and also tomorrow we will be traveling. So we opened presents yesterday and of course my oldest child, you know, stayed up to like 1.30 in the morning, unable to sleep because she was so excited about, about the presents she was going to get. Well, you know, also there's an element of waiting in our Awana program During Awana, we have several store nights over the course of the semester, and during those store nights, the kids are able to spend the Awana bucks that they earn over the course of the semester, you know, by memorizing scripture and doing what they're supposed to, they earn these Awana bucks, and then at store night, they can cash them in, earn little prizes. Well, the little kids, they're really excited about getting stuff, and so they don't really save up their Awana bucks very often, so... Store night comes, and they'll buy whatever they can, and they don't have much money saved up, so they end up with little trinkets and cheap candies and things like Jolly Ranchers. I don't actually know if, they're, if we are giving away Jolly Ranchers, but in my mind, it's like, you know, the cheap stuff, like the worst type of candy, a, a Jolly Rancher. You know, that's what they go for. Well, you know, my kids learned this lesson, and so this year, our middle child, Eden, saved up all of her Awana bucks, 
and even finagled it so that when it was store night, this last store night, she was like the first to get out and dodgeball so she could go to the store first and have first pickings. So uh, yeah, she did that. But what did she get? This nice, big, plush, stuffed elephant that she absolutely loves. It's, it's, I mean, it's a good elephant. And uh, you know, I've got a soft spot in my, spot in my heart for stuffed animals. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a good one. But she had to wait for it. She had to wait for it. And our passage today shows us that what we ultimately have been waiting for, salvation, is here. The wait is over. The hardship of needing to wait for God to reveal what He is doing in the world and how He is going to rescue us, it's here. The wait is over. The prize is here. But here's the kicker. Even though the prize is here, that big plushed stuffed elephant is just waiting for something far better than a plush stuffed elephant. Even though the prize is here, we often settle for little jolly ranchers, the small things, the, the spiritual jolly ranchers that don't satisfy. And meanwhile, the big prize, salvation itself, Jesus Christ in the flesh is waiting for us. Today, when we're done seeing or done walking through our passage, I hope that you see that ultimately our eyes, we're being invited through this passage to look at Jesus, to be reminded that the wait is over. And because the wait is over, we can have peace and we can rejoice. We're going to see Jesus and see his salvation in our passage today. So let's dive in. I'll give you our first point right off the bat. It's this, God promised comfort and salvation to his people. God promised comfort and salvation to his people. So the first idea is revolving around this idea of promise, promise. All right, let's dive into our text, starting in verse 22, and I want you to look for the promise. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And so we see here, Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus to the temple and all the things that needed to be done for a newborn and the mother are being done. You know, we could spend a whole sermon kind of talking about these things, and uh, we won't. We're going to kind of continue on. But I want to note here that we're seeing Jesus, like firstborn children in Israel, is being set apart. And it's happening at the temple. The temple in Luke is one of the big themes. Big things happen at the temple. So Jesus here, he's being set apart, and he's meeting Simeon here in the temple. So let's, let's actually just skip ahead to verse 25. And we encounter this guy, Simeon. Simeon comes onto the scene, and we learn very little about him, but what we do learn is incredibly profound. Simeon doesn't appear anywhere else in the Gospel of Luke. We know nothing about him other than that he's this old guy hanging out at the temple, and he's righteous and devout. That's how he's described. He's righteous and devout. Now, we hear, oh, somebody is righteous and devout. We think, oh, he's very proper. He's following the rules. He's doing exactly what God told him to do. But that's not the primary descriptor that Luke then gives us of Simeon, who was righteous and devout. No, what does he say? He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's the first thing. And secondly, the Holy Spirit was upon him. So he's got God himself is with Simeon, and Simeon has a posture of waiting, waiting. He is taking God at His word. He knows that God has promised something, and we'll look at that in just a minute. 
and he is trusting that God is going to fulfill that promise. He has a posture of trust. You don't wait for something you don't think is going to come. You only wait for that in which you're saying, yeah, that's coming someday. So he has a posture of trust. Now, specifically, what he's trusting God for is the consolation of Israel. You may look at that and say, what the heck is that? That's not even a word that we use very often. The consol- a consolation, here's the technical definition. Consolation is the comfort received by a person after a loss or disappointment. It's the comfort received by a person after a loss or disappointment. So, for example, my fantasy team did not do so well in the regular season, fantasy football. So, I am in the consolation ladder right now. I don't feel very consoled being in the consolation ladder, but hence that's where we use that word. It's like, oh, you know, hey, you lost. You, you get to keep playing with all the losers over here. You know, that's the kind of the, that's what's going on. So, Israel is expecting a comfort. Simeon is expecting a comfort. From what? What was their loss or disappointment? Ultimately, they had a loss and disappointment because they had experienced the wrath of God on them because of their sin, because of their rebelliousness, because of their rejection of His righteousness and holiness, and because they did their own thing. And that's what we all have done. We are in the same boat as Israel. We are suffering from the results of sin and just what it brings into the world. They also were specifically experiencing some very particular curses that came about because they had rejected God's covenant. That was what they were experiencing and what they were hoping to be comforted from. We are in the same boat. We really are. Because we are experiencing loss and disappointment as the result of our sin as well. We have a temptation to look for comfort in the face of our sin in spiritual jolly ranchers. We do. The things that we turn to, we don't think of them as spiritual jolly ranchers, but they, they are. We'll turn to our own ability, our own spiritual ability to keep God's laws, or we'll turn to our earthly ability to be awesome and impressive, earn a lot of money, have a great uh, health or whatever it is. We turn to those types of things, our own self, thinking, I can rescue me. Our whole world is built upon ourselves pushing forward, trying to make things right. But it's a spiritual jolly rancher. It doesn't satisfy So we trust in our own ability. We trust in human deliverers, whether it be politicians or entertainers. We say, ah, this person is finally going to save me. We'll even look to escape. We'll trust in that. We'll look to be distracted from pain and suffering through drugs, food, entertainment, social media, whatever it is. You can put things on that list. And it is us trying to escape from the reality of the crushing disappointment of life. And life is crushingly disappointing because sin has entered into the world. Things that should taste right and good don't satisfy. Relationships that should be whole and bring us life, like our family and friends, don't satisfy. Our work, our very work itself is cursed. Adam's work was cursed. Our work is cursed. The things that we were created for are cursed. And we look to these jolly ranchers They're ultimately band-aids, not solutions. We need true comfort. And Simeon 
is waiting for true comfort. All right, so let, I want to unpack this a, a, a bit more. So we are spending a lot of time in this section because what's going on here is really emphasis, or is really kind of uh, diving deep, in, or Luke is diving deep into something that Isaiah teaches on a lot. It's almost as if, I've talked about this before, but the gospel writers seem to have Isaiah and the rest of the prophets open in one hand as they write their gospel in the other. And so Simeon, Simeon is trusting in particular promises that we find in Isaiah. Now, in Isaiah, we're going to turn to a section and kind of go through a whole section of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 11, really are summarizing some key things in the whole book. So, as Luke writes here about what Simeon was trusting in, Simeon is trusting in a very broad thing. But Luke kind of uses language that hones in on one very particular section, and it is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 11. So we're going to turn there, and you may be familiar with this section. A lot of Isaiah is full of judgment. First, like 39 chapters are like judgment with a little bit of hope sprinkled in. And then finally, the tone changes in verse 40 with these words, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. You wonder what word is used there in the Greek translation of the, New Test- or of the Old Testament that the gospel writers often referred to? It's called the Septuagint, by the way. That's what that translation is. It's the same word that Luke uses when he says Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. You could easily translate this, consolation, consolation, my people. Console, console, my people. Verse 1 has this word console. Verse 2 does as well. Cry to her is specifically where you find it. You also find it again in verse 11. It's a little veiled in the English where it is, but it's there. So we kind of have this bracketed section of verses 1 to 11 in Isaiah 40 that talk about the consolation of Israel. A comfort is coming. And again, we need this comfort because sin has ruined everything and it's resulted in tragedy. We long for justice. We long for sin to be dealt with. Do we not? We want justice to come into the world. But we also want comfort. And God here promises both. We need restored relationship where we can walk with God just as we were intended to in Eden. All right, so let's look at verses 1 to, one to 5, because there's really three sections in chapters, or chapter 41 to 11. There's this first section, comfort, comfort my people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. By the way, mind you of John the Baptist, Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Real simply, this is a lot of poetic language, but we see here that God is promising that all things will be made right. That's what this language is conveying, that all the bad will be made right, that all the brokenness will be restored, people will have life that He will bring hope and joy. Comfort is coming. Okay, so that's kind of verses 1 to 5. We're saying comfort is coming. Verses 6 to 8 move on to the theme that, hey, what God has said He will do. Verse 6, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. 
The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. This seems kind of depressing up to now, right? It's like, oh, people don't last very long. Verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So when we speak, what we say is ultimately temporary because we are finite beings. But here God says, just as you are small and your life is finite, what God says is everlasting. This is what Simeon is trusting in. He says what God has said will come to pass. He said He will comfort His people The word of our God will stand forever. So this middle section is saying what God has said, He will do. So first section, God promises comfort. Second section, God will do it. Third section is the how. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. That's the word gospel again, by the way. We've been talking about that in Matthew God's good rule and reign coming to the world. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. Key verse, verse 11. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So God is coming. Behold your God. He's ruling and reigning. But how is He doing it? Like a shepherd. God Himself is coming. So God promises restoration in the first part of Isaiah 40. Second part, we see God saying He will do it. Third part, how is He going to do it? Because He's going to come and be their shepherd king. When you put all of this together, And then we look at Simeon back in Luke chapter 2, and we see this old man who has been promising, or he's been trusting in the promises of God. We see that what Simeon is looking forward to is big indeed. We can often look at at Luke 2, and we kind of just glance over it, because we're like, ah, this old guy, it's kind of a weird story, I don't know what to do with it. But this is big. Luke is saying all of those huge promises of the Old Testament are here. And so even in this season of life, the Advent season, you know, it can feel rote and mundane and busy and stressful and difficult. But the message of Jesus being here is one of comfort, comfort my people. That is what Simeon is seeing here. The shepherd king has come. And this is key, that the shepherd king has come. I I love space stuff. Uh, You can ask my wife. My uh, YouTube feed is full of lots of space videos and all sorts of things. And uh, one of the things that I think is particularly cool is something called the Parker Solar Probe. You may know what it is, but it's a, a probe that we have sent to the sun And uh, in 2021, it flew through the sun's corona. That's the upper atmosphere of the sun. Ultimately, the Parker Solar Probe is going to make 24 orbits of the sun. They get closer and closer as it goes, so it'll gather more and more new and interesting insights about the sun during its mission. The closest it'll ever get is 3.9 million miles. Okay, now, like universe and cosmically speaking, that's that's pretty small. But it's still 3.9 million miles. And at that distance from the sun, it will have, it, 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 sorry, its carbon com- composite shield can withstand temperatures of 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. 
Okay, so that's what it's built to withstand. So at that distance from the sun, it'll still be able uh, to function. But if you were to go all the way to the surface of the sun, which the Parker Solar Probe cannot do, it will die long before it gets there, the temperature of the surface of the sun is 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. The core of the sun is 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. So the Parker Solar Probe is getting to see the glory of the sun in a way that no other man-made object ever has. And we'll see all sorts of pictures and cool things from it. But the, 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 kind of the, the glory that it'll get to see is just a taste of the glory of the sun. God's glory far surpasses the glory of the sun. He looks at 27 million degrees says, might as well be ice cold. His glory burns far hotter. And we have here in our text that God himself has come because that's what we see happen with Simeon. Simeon has been waiting for the glory of God to be revealed. So just again, first point was this. God has promised comfort and salvation to his people Second idea, God has brought comfort and salvation to His people in Christ. His glory is here. It has been brought, done, finished. Jesus has put on flesh. God has brought comfort and salvation to His people. So let's look back at Simeon and see him rejoicing in the glory of God that his eyes have seen. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, and he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, pause right there, I don't have any, much time at all to talk about this, but I want you to notice that multiple times Luke has referenced that, that Simeon has been led by the Spirit. The Spirit was upon him, he came in the Spirit, he's listening to the Spirit, and what's happening when he listens? He's pointed towards Jesus. The Holy Spirit always points towards Jesus. A so-called Holy Spirit that does not point towards Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit points towards Jesus. Jesus points towards the Father. So the Holy Spirit is leading Simeon to Jesus. May we be led by the Spirit to see Jesus. Let's keep going in our text because here is what Simeon sings. There are four hymns in the beginning of Luke, there's one by Mary, there's one by Zechariah, there's a very, very short one that the angels sing, which we'll look at tonight, and then there's this one that Simeon sings. It's just a, a four short verses, traditionally called the Nunc Dimittis. That's Latin. I, couldn't rem- I don't really remember what it means, but there you go. Fun fact for today. But that, that's what this is, okay? It's a, a hymn sung, uh, that, that Simeon gives, and we want to know two particular things, two very simple things that's emphasized in this hymn. First off, Simeon has seen, seen, and secondly, what he has seen. This is real simple stuff, okay? I hope that as we're walking through this, you're not like, where did he get this from? I mean, this this is just kind of obvious. Simeon is seeing. There's such an emphasis on his eyes. So let's look first at what he's seeing and then kind of talk about why it's important that he has seen. So what he has seen, or sorry, we're going to talk about what he has seen and then why he's seen, or what he is The fact that Simeon has seen. Sorry, that's where we're going. First, what has he seen? The comfort of God. Salvation. You know, in in our points, I've been linking comfort and salvation. I don't just want to leave it at comfort because if we look at comfort and say it's 
oh, God has brought comfort, then it's just, oh, God is making me feel good. But that comfort comes because of the salvation that he has brought. He says in verse 30, For my eyes have seen, what? Your salvation. The salvation that he prepared in the presence of all peoples. What is this salvation? What has he seen? A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Salvation is in parallel with light. So verse 30 is in parallel with 32. Verse 32 explains what he is seeing in verse 30. Salvation is light. It's driving back the darkness. It's dealing with sin and death. It is God's rule and reign coming to the world. And the people that don't know God, the Gentiles, those who are separated from Him, are now seeing God's salvation has come for the world, not just a select few living in one small corner, but instead for all people. This is why what we just saw in the Advent uh, 4 recitation, that Jesus is for all people. Luke traces the genealogy back to Adam. Salvation has come. Peace instead of strife. Unity instead of separation. Glory instead of humiliation. Salvation instead of death. The problems that sin has created are being undone. And this is coming through a particular person with far more glory than the Son. God is in the flesh. So Simeon has seen. So what he has seen is salvation. Salvation. No longer being slaves to death. But also, there's a glory in that he has seen. And that is what Luke wants us to latch onto here. That he has seen. Simeon can die in peace because with his own two eyes, he has seen the salvation of the Lord. Salvation is not an idea. It's not a philosophy. God has come in the flesh and has brought something real. It's not a wrapped present. A wrapped present that is never opened is no present at all. Jesus is the present that is here. He has come. Do we grapple with Jesus' arrival like it is a real thing that was really seen 2,000 years ago? I think oftentimes we think of it as just a feel-good story. That's one of the problems that familiarity can bring. It's just It becomes familiar, no longer novel. But Luke is trying to shake us out of this and say, no, this is real. And Simeon is overjoyed when he holds the Christ child in his hands. Many years ago, I used to love playing kind of sports video games. Don't really do that anymore, but when I was young, I did. I loved winning the championship in a fake game. It brought me so much satisfaction. I never really played many real sports, so I never really won any real championships. But I am willing to bet that winning a real championship probably feels a lot better than winning it on an Xbox. It's just just a thought, just putting that out there, that actually playing a real game probably brings more satisfaction than you by yourself in your room winning a video game. But do we treat the arrival of Jesus like a video game? Oh, this makes me feel great. Oh, comfort my people, yay. Or are we saying, hallelujah, God has come. God himself has put on flesh to save us. Amen. 
want to look back at Isaiah 40 real quick. At the end of Isaiah 40, this is what Isaiah says. Starting in verse 28, have you not known have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. This is the God that's putting on flesh. But look at what he does. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait, they who wait for Yahweh shall renew their strength. Again, think what we're seeing is Simeon remembering Isaiah 40 and waiting for the Lord. But they who wait for Yahweh shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Who is doing all of this good thing, all these good things? God himself. God is the one who came to earth. God is the one who initiated. God took on flesh for us who are sinners and died for us. He is the responsible one. He promised and He brought. It is Him who does this. What joy this should bring to us. Because we don't have to bring salvation. We don't have to create it on our own. It has been brought for us. May we rejoice because of that truth. God has brought comfort and salvation to His people in Christ. Sometimes we gloss over that fact at Christmas. We're like, yay, Jesus is here. We forget Jesus was sent by God himself. What joy we should have. God has brought comfort and salvation to his people in Christ. But what do we do with this? I think this is where Luke is leading us. We must see Jesus to see comfort and salvation. If we refuse to see Jesus, we will not have that comfort and salvation that he offers Simeon had eyes to see. Anyone around the temple could have physically seen Jesus, but Simeon saw him for who he was. Why? Because he was listening to the Spirit of God. He was willing to hear. Are we willing to hear? Now, what I don't mean is that we need to see physically Jesus. God has not blessed us to allow us to live 2,000 years ago. But what I do mean is, do, do the eyes of our hearts see Jesus? Luke is asking us, do we see? Both for the people who believe in Jesus and the people who are wrestling with Jesus and don't believe in Him. He's saying, do you see? And that's what the rest of the passage is really getting at. We get this kind of statement from Simeon that Jesus is going to be you know, raising people up and other people are going to be falling down and Mary's own heart is going to be pierced. It's like, Simeon, what are you talking about? Ultimately, he's saying, look, people are going to be divided. They're going to be split based on their response to Jesus. And if you respond rightly to Jesus, you will be raised up. Poorly, you will be brought low. And why do we know this? Well, earlier in Luke, in chapter 1, when Mary was singing, here's what she says in verses 51 and 52 of chapter 1. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And this in particular this is what he says, or she says, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. So when now we get a reference to the raising and lowering of people in Israel, Luke and Simeon are saying, look, if the posture of your heart is one of humility that receives who Jesus is, you'll be raised up. If it's one of pride, you'll be brought low. 
And I'm not talking about humility in the sense of, oh, I just need to be a humble person. But I need to be a humble person in light of Jesus. Do I humbly receive Him as my King, as my Lord, as my Savior? God loves humility and weakness in us, not strength and might. Why? Because we're weak. It's admitting the truth and allowing Him to move in us. Church, we don't earn salvation, but instead... We just humbly confess that we can't earn it, that we deserve damnation, but that God loves us and sent Christ to die for us. That is the humility that this passage is inviting us to exercise. And let me be very clear. If we do not believe this, we do not have salvation. If you do believe this, you do have salvation. And this passage is an invitation to believe, to believe that the comfort that we need has finally come. Do we have ears to hear? Do we have ears to hear, comfort, oh comfort my people? Do we believe that Jesus brings comfort? If you're wrestling with the question of Jesus, I tell you this morning that He does bring the comfort that He wants to heal and restore both here in this world and ultimately in the life to come. We may get partial peace and comfort here, but we will have full peace and comfort in the life to come. Now, for those of you who do trust in Christ, you may be sitting this whole thing, you're like, Mark, yes, I know. I, I, I get all this, but, but what do I do with what Luke is putting in front of us this morning? How am I being called to respond? It's real simple, real simple. Two things on this Christmas that I long for us to respond with, and I think that Luke is calling us to, and the Holy Spirit through Luke, it's this. Rejoice and have peace. That's what Simeon does. He's rejoicing that salvation is here, but he also has peace. He's like, I can die in peace. <laughs> I've got what, what life has been, what's been promised to me. One, you can rejoice. That this is an act of faith sometimes to rejoice. You might, not feeling like, you might not feel like rejoicing. And sometimes it requires just by faith saying, okay, I'm gonna, I am going to praise God even though my heart is struggling to catch up. That's, that's rejoicing by faith. And that is okay if you were there. I think most of us are often there, or there far more often than we like to admit, if not even the majority of the time. And that's okay. We rejoice by faith. And also we need to have peace. Rejoice and have peace. Rest from your labors. We are constantly trying to get comfort. Rest. You don't need to get your family to respond to you in any sort of particular way this Christmas. Rest in the comfort that Jesus brings. It is okay if things are difficult, if things are hard, if you feel unloved and unworthy, you can rest in the fact that salvation has come in Jesus Christ. It is not an idea. It is not some ephemeral just thing out there that maybe will make me feel good someday. Jesus Christ came in the flesh to redeem us. And that is good news. So church, rejoice just as Simeon rejoices. He blessed God. That means he praises God. And he rests because he knows that salvation is here. Salvation is here. 
So let's stop looking to those spiritual jolly ranchers. Let's see Jesus. And when we see Him, see salvation. And may that drive us to rejoice and have peace. Church, let me pray. Father, we thank You that You have brought us peace. You have fulfilled Your promise that You bring comfort to Your people, salvation to those who have ears to hear. May we continue to have humble hearts and help us, Lord, to rest in what You have done and help us to rejoice in the beautiful truth that Jesus Christ has saved. Father, help us to continue walking with You in the midst of this busy season, in the midst of maybe difficult conversations amongst family, in the midst of strange feelings and burdens that we may have. Help us to trust in you. Help us to see. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.